Welcome to the Smarking Edition of B2B Nation, part of the Technology Advice Podcast Network. Today on the show, we have Raj Badranath, the VP of Marketing and Growth Services at Avangate. So thank you so much for joining the B2B Nation, Raj. Thank you so much, Josh. Happy to be here. Yeah, and to start us off here, we'll be chatting about commerce automation uh, for this episode. And I want to start off with one sentence. Uh, what is your description of commerce automation, Raj? So commerce automation is the third leg of the stool that defines you know, the three buckets of automation. First, as you know, was sales automation. Second is marketing automation. And the third is commerce automation, which essentially takes the outputs of marketing automation, like leads and opportunities and so on, which have been nurtured, and converts them into a self-service revenue stream without very little intervention manually. How, Raj, would you say uh, commerce automation, this sort of third leg, uh, if you will, changed in the past year? What were some of the big uh, things that you guys had your eyes on and uh, saw moving forward in the industry? You know, when when we started to get into this industry, and, and Josh, you know this, right? Marketing has changed significantly just in the last five years. Um, before, you know, we had a fairly monolithic way of approaching you know, your go-to-market strategies, whether it was online or offline, um, and basically, the life cycle is fairly deterministic. At this point, what we're seeing right now is the way customers approach your business is very similar to how a consumer actually ends up purchasing. It doesn't matter if you're a B2B or you know, you're selling to the government and so on and so forth. The reality is that the expectations have been reset by a consumer buying experience. If you are in the business of selling to, you know, let's say small businesses or anybody like that, you can very well have to sort of step back and relook at the customer experience and relook at how have you enabled your customers to actually make a purchase without even them having to talk to anybody in your organization. Really, you know, what this means is that commerce automation to us is the ability to get out of the way of the customer, stop trying to manage the sales funnel, stop trying to manage the marketing funnel in the traditional manner, and basically turn what we call the asymmetry of information, right, is now in the favor of your customers. Your customers know more about your business than you do. They've already researched it. They've already checked with their references. They know what they're trying to buy even before you do. So instead of having a very forced approach of, you know, step one to step two to step three, understand that this is more of a Brownian motion, how they ping pong along your website, your, you know, uh, whether your content that they end up downloading, whether it's a white paper, whether it's data sheets, they watch a webinar, they attend some of your events, etc. And then they make their own decisions, right? It's the ability to put the customer in control. Absolutely. And uh, well, I mean, what does this mean, Raj, for, for sales and marketing then if if this is sort of the third evolution and uh, you really do want to make sure that your customer is control, in control, what, what can those sort of two departments do uh, to make sure and sort of uh, continue along with the evolution of something like this uh, where ultimately at the end of the day, uh, the customer is the one that is purchasing the product, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a great question because, you know, what we've seen, Josh, is sales and marketing departments are frequently at odds on A, who controls this, B, who's responsible for delivering against this. If you talk to the marketing guys, they will sort of, you know, and we will rather, um, sort of overemphasize the customer experience part uh, versus the revenues. 
But if you talk to the sales guys, right, they will overemphasize revenue and closing of deals over the experience, though each group intrinsically is aware that they need the other to be successful, right? And so what we have seen right now is I'll give you an example, right? We had a customer who basically said, look, we are really, you know, really losing this battle to our competitors who are smaller than us, but they're coming in and they're, they're basically selling smaller packages of the same or of a similar solution, if you will, instead of an enterprise license. So for example, if you have a sales rep and you give him a quota or her a quota and you say, you know, this is the number of deals that you need to close in order for you to make your quota. And those deals happen to be fairly large enterprise deals. And then all of a sudden you have a customer who, uh, who's basically evaluating you versus your competitor, but then finds that your competitor has a free trials and a freemium model, right? Somebody can go actually go in and sign up and start to use the product. They don't have to talk to the sales team. And by the way, while you may be convinced on an enterprise scale that your product is actually a lot better than your competitors, it does turn out that the ease of use, the ability for the customer to actually try a product before they actually talk to anybody, the ability for them to buy, you know, let's say a small set of seats, maybe five seats to 10 seats, versus trying to buy um, you know, a 500 or 1,000-seat enterprise license may actually tilt the deal against you. Right? It goes in the favor of your competitors. So what we're seeing right now is this problem cannot be solved by one group alone. The sales team cannot solve this problem. Or the way they try to solve it typically is by discounting. Right? They basically say, look, I'm not going to be able to give you um, you know, a five-seat license we, the minimum I can do is a 500-seat license, but because you're a strategic customer, I'm going to discount the deal and try to get in the door that way, which hurts the company, hurts the economics in the long term. It cannot be solved only by marketing because marketing teams actually have to realize that there's a sales compensation issue over here. By trying to make it to self-service, you're removing the salesperson from the whole deal where there's a huge value to be added in terms of consultative selling and so on and so forth. So what we ends up happening is you have to consider not your internal divisional view of how you look at the universe, but how does the customer look at your business? Is it easy for the customer to come in and start to sign up and understand that all the background nature is kind of you know, taken care of? More importantly, in a SaaS world, right, where you're really looking at servicing as really being the most important part of SaaS, it's not really about the first-time acquisition because you do end up making your money over the long term, how do you ensure that there's an organization for service delivery that's set up to make the customer successful over the long term? So all the incentives that we traditionally knew that actually worked, which front-loaded everything for the sales team, is no longer valid today, right? So it's a fundamental rethink, this whole digital transformation that's going on. It's a rethink of how you have to approach this market. Uh, I want to hear, Raj, your thoughts on maybe what we can, it sounds similar to sort of, I guess, a B2C model in that, uh, you know, for example, I just purchased uh, Final Cut Pro and obviously I won't be, you know, upsold, but I was the one that sort of found that need. And then I never had a conversation with the salesperson. I just, you know, purchased and the app model and, and uh, I guess sort of the, you know, the more and more apps that we're interacting with. It sounds sounds sort of like that's the direction we're going in. But a uh, question here is, what can we as B2B marketers learn from B2C marketers? Yes, and I think, you know, there is the ease of purchase, the customer experience that goes into it, you know, what we call frictionless selling. These are all things that B2B can take away from B2C. 
Very importantly, though, Josh, one point that we haven't spoken about is the nature of how uh, the purchase is done is also changing, right? Because remember, Final Cut Pro could very well be a one-time purchase that you may have bought, right? And then you're done. You have like a, a download or a, or a DVD that you that may end up owning. But remember, most of B2B is now getting into SaaS, which means that there is a recurring revenue aspect of things. And in fact, recurring revenues have changed the way people look at uh, B2B right now. Um, in fact, sales and marketing have got to recognize that you know, anytime you go into commerce automation and you're selling uh, you know, uh, you know, a product or a service, there's a whole digital life cycle that comes in which is to do with recurring revenues. And recurring revenues you know, give rise to a very important element that most companies tend to ignore, which we co were calling revenue leakage. Because every time there's a recurring revenue stream, there are points of leakage on the life cycle, and that's one thing that you have to be conscious about. Revenue leakage. So, uh, Raj, let's hear a little bit more uh, about that. How would you guys uh, define that? And I guess uh, ultimately, you know, how do you turn that leakage into something like uh, revenue uplift? Exactly right. So, revenue leakage is very simple, right? Think about, you know, most people have heard about um, a, a customer lifecycle, right? Now, what I want to introduce is a concept called commerce lifecycle. It's similar to customer lifecycle, but is only to do with the monetary aspects of things, right? Are you, are you, how are you making money to run your business? And it really consists of a few phases. It starts with you know, acquire, meaning you, it's an acquisition phase. Second is really about activation. How do you take you know, a customer that you have actually acquired and activate them? Third is upsells and cross-sells. How do you basically increase your wallet share? Right? Fourth is about upgrades. And fifth is really about renewals and retention. Right, which leads into further acquisition. So that's kind of your cycle. So what we've found right now, Josh, is when we looked at you know multiple customers, each customer that we have takes a very simplistic view to this life cycle. Either we found that they tilt all the way towards acquisition, and this is very classically true for the B2C companies, right? Where everybody is focused on getting a new logo or everybody is focused on getting a new customer, a new order, and so on and so forth. But very little of focus is actually applied on the back end of renewal and retention, which is where this market is leading to. So what ends up happening is that at each step from acquisition, let's say you got, you know, uh, you really focused on um, getting customers all over the world because you have a software product that can sell everywhere. Guess what? You haven't really paid attention to, for example, on... Uh, your touch points and channel integration. So you start to leak, quote unquote, you know, revenues because of that. Uh, you haven't focused on conversion rates. Conversion rate is absolutely critical, right? At, at, at uh, you know, the acquisition phase, meaning if you have a conversion rate of 10% versus a conversion rate of 15%, that, those five percentage points go straight to your top line. And you've already spent the same amount of money to actually get, you know, these uh, this this traffic onto your website, and if you're not very clear about how do you move them to the customer purchase funnel and how do you get them to actually you know convert, you're then leaving the, the, that kind of money behind the table. So at every stage, whether it's on acquisition, whether it's on activation, which is you know what, as a freemium customer, you have ten thousand users of your product, right? 
Do you know, by the way, that Evernote, uh, you know, this is something I read uh, a while ago, Evernote is obviously a very, very popular productivity tool. Their conversion rate is from between 2 to 3% right now, which means think about the number of users that you need to have. 97% of the folks that they have actually are not paying customers. So it means that for them, activation is absolutely an important metric, right? Because they have to focus on how do I increase the 2 to 3% number to even, you know, 4 to 5%, which will essentially, you know, in an instant double the revenues that they have. So it's a key element to look at it, right? How do you then ensure that there isn't leakage at every different point from activation to upsells to upgrade to renewals? And especially the last example is on renewals. Most companies don't realize that when you have a subscription you know, plan, a recurring revenue plan that's sitting on top of a credit card, right? it could be something simple. It could be $50 per user per month. Okay? What people don't realize is that, you know what? Credit cards are entities that are controlled by factors way outside than, than what you may have. Meaning, if you as a consumer right, or go in to a Target or to Home Depot, and let's say there's a data breach. I hope it doesn't happen again, but let's say there was one. Guess what happens, right? You get a new credit card right away, and there's no skin off your back as a consumer. But if you are a software company or if you're a merchant who's relying on, you know, using that credit card for a monthly billing cycle, all of a sudden your billing cycle stops working. Guess what? Because the card has been replaced. And if the card has been replaced, it costs anywhere from $35 to $50 per credit card, and this is per an analyst firm, to actually, you know, it's a fully loaded cost of actually having, you know, your call center agents, your, uh, you know, your automated systems to update and so on to get the new credit card information. All of these things is something that you haven't factored in, and then you're leaking revenues, even though you have sold the product, even though you have sold the subscription, even though you have a recurring revenue stream, you cannot invoice them. All of these things add up. And what we found is up to 10 to 20% of revenues that you currently have are unrecovered revenues. And we call all of this as revenue leakage elements. And when you start to plug these leaks with various set of strategies, they essentially give you, it's equivalent of how do you like to see a 10 to 20% increment of revenues without any increment in costs? And that's a compelling proposition for most sales and marketing people. If you had one or two things that, that folks could uh, take away from this conversation and start doing you know, tomorrow, uh, what would that be? What would that be? Okay. Um, really, really good question. So I, I think I would say number one is take a look at all costs, including your sunk costs. There is a tendency to look at the commerce automation piece as, hey, I'm just going to look at just the payment costs and see if I can get a better, better provider. Uh, the reality is all these whether they're the payments layer, whether the subscription billing layer, whether they're in the e-commerce layer, they're all connected, right? Um, and you have to look at sunk costs, meaning what is the current cost of actually serving that business along with the overall cost. That's, that's one part, right? So take a look at, put everything on the table because I think you'll find uh, inefficiencies in the cracks, right? And that's what you need to go after right now with revenue leakage. It's, it's leaky because, you know, there, it's a small hole. It could be a big hole, if it's too big a hole, you probably would have fixed it by now, right? And, and start to, start to pick, pick the small ones that are happening in between the process, number one. Number two is look at your incentive models. Many times, 
Um, the reason why such things don't work right now is because you, you know, you without realizing, you set up conflict between the online teams which do e-commerce and online acquisition to your sales team, which are not incentivized that way. Look for far more collaborative incentive plans. Double comp people in different teams if you have to to get this thing off the ground. Don't have structural. Uh, you know, issues come in in the way of actually really growing the revenues to hyper growth because that's where your customers are. And uh, finally, look at the systems that you currently have, right? For the most part, it's really easy to try and want to build everything yourself. In fact, when this whole thing started five, 10 years ago, um, the possibility of customers building it themselves was very, very high because you could have a developer, you could throw something in, it could start it very easily. Today, there are systems, there's applications, there's tools out there that help you automate a lot of this process so you can fo focus on the core, which is how do you run your business, how do you serve your customers better, and stop trying to build it everything yourself in-house, right? And you have to choose between which resource do you focus on. Do you take something that's commodity, like payments, and try to reinvent that in-house? Or do you take really what is really core for you, which is how do I serve my customers, how do I price this correctly? How do I experiment with different kind of plans to actually you know, help get to the market faster and really focus on that? So core versus context is my last point. Oh, wow. So, so good. And uh, I love that you mentioned payments. Hopefully, maybe we can uh, touch on that in a later episode. But uh, thank you again, Raj, uh, for joining me today. How can our listeners uh, find out more about you and about uh, Avangate? Yeah, Avangate, uh, you know, happy to, uh, you know, we drink our own champagne or eat our own dog food, <laughs> as, as you want to call it. Uh, so you can go to avangate.com and you can see, you know, we have a, a self-service model that talks about frictionless selling, as well as a way of getting in touch with our sales teams. Um, that's what's one way of actually seeing something in action. And people can follow me on Twitter at, at Rajmataz, R-A-J-M-A-T-A-Z-Z. And I'm um, happy to engage. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, of course. And uh, uh, thanks again, Raj, for, for joining me today. I uh, really appreciate your time and uh, amazing insights. Sure. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, of course. To find out more about B2B Nation, check out our website, technologyadvice.com backslash podcast, or please rate us and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.